Our little ones, I think, are heading out for a junior church. They're going directly out. They're not coming up to the front this morning. So I think Miss Katya is there in the back. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Big Woods Bible Church, especially our visitors that are here this morning. I think of family members of all the little ones, uh, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, we welcome you to Big Woods, especially on this unique and wonderful time we have together. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We've kind of made it out of our series within a series on the spiritual gifts. We've made it all the way to verse Nine. So we've been in Romans chapter 12, I think since the 1st of January. Things are moving rapidly along. It's a short text, but there is a lot here for us. Here it is, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Reading from the English Standard Version, here is the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. I think it's more than fitting and appropriate that the Lord allowed this text to be our focus this morning, especially with the parents that we have here on the responsibility that we have of raising little ones. It's an important message for us in the culture and time, the context that the Lord has called us to live and to minister in. I know that uh, Mike has just prayed, and just, um, if you would bear with me, we need to go before the throne once more. Father, we love you, and I pray for help and guidance as we look into your word this morning. Lord, minister, comfort, strengthen. Father, I pray, Lord, for those in the tumultuous situation in Ukraine, pray, Lord, for the church to be faithful and for love to be shown. We pray, Lord, that conflict would stop. Father, I pray for people that are here today that are going through difficult seasons and struggles, sicknesses. Lord, my, ache, my heart aches for dear um, Rusty and, and Ginny Council. I just pray, Lord, for comfort and strength for them. May they know that they are not alone as they journey the difficult loss of their daughter, Chelsea. Lord, please um, speak. May a man not be heard or seen or be focused upon in any way, but you, you alone. Get all the glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> Those of you just joining us, by way of a little bit of a recap, we know that all of the book of Romans can be very easily divided into two sections. There's the first 11 chapters, 1 through 11, doctrinal instruction. And there's some heavy theology. There's some heavy lifting in the first portion of Romans. Doctrines of justification, sanctification, glorification. And then we move on to this section of practical application. Chapters 12 through chapter 16. At, at this point in Romans, hopefully the body of Christ understands what we believe. And specifically over the last couple months what tools we have, what gifts we have been given in order to accomplish our calling. What? To glorify God and edify the body 
of Christ. And now the focus, now what we're going to do is focus on how we go about doing this. And you will very quickly note there's a clear change, a shift in style. Up to this point, the Apostle Paul, the author, has written in, in, in lengthy, weighty concepts, long sentences, long paragraphs, and now he moves to short bursts of instruction, a string of exhortations, 13 of them, as a matter of fact, in the next five verses. The author leads here with love. Now, you can look at many, many commentaries in different study Bibles, and there's usually a, a chapter, a title, or heading. This section can be called many different things. Love in action, marks of a Christian, brotherly love, Christian ethics, how the gospel shapes your relationships. Barnhouse calls it, lest you be hypocrites, this entire section. Call it whatever you want to call it. What we will quickly see is that it all speaks of and for the sincerity and the authenticity of our love for one another. So regardless of the title that it's given, you will very quickly see this is not difficult stuff to understand, but it is very difficult to apply. And the reason is that it is totally countercultural. Now please hear me on this. When you truly allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape your attitudes and your actions, it will pour out. It'll seep out of your pores. You ever sit next to someone who just like down a lot of garlic and it's like, whoa! Same idea. The gospel seeps out. It pours out of our pores. And it will affect, it'll become evidence in your ethics, in your relationships with one another. Thus the reason that Paul begins with this word. Let's Love, be genuine. If you're familiar at all with the original language, the, the Greek has four different words that are used, all translated into English as love. We know that there's what? Phileo, that's brotherly love. That's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove, we call it. The city of brotherly love. We have what? We have eros, that's romantic love. That's between a husband and a wife. We have storge, and that's family love. And in this, and probably arguably the most well-known love, is what is referred to as agape. It is a selfless love, a Christ-like love, a sacrificial commitment to act that is not based on feelings at all. Now think about what the world has done. Think about what the culture has offered to us by way of what is the definition of love. Love is, is love. You hear things like that. What is that? Love is love. Love in a sense is what? Don't ever tell anyone anything that could upset them. That's not loving. And that's totally wrong. It's wrong. The, the world has hollowed out the true meaning definition of love. Think of someone that you love, a child, a parent, a spouse. As much as you love them, have you ever done anything that has upset them, that has angered them? Well, of course. 
Now, now just, just think for a moment. Just think for a moment. If there was a person that exists that is never, ever going to, what, give you up. He's never going to let you down. If there was a person who's never going to, what, run around and desert you. He's never going to, what, make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie. And surely, surely, they're never going to hurt you. You've been what? Rickrolled, I've heard it called. Whereas this idea, what? That's the definition of love, and that's impossible. Like, that, that doesn't happen. That does not happen because what? We hurt those that we love because we know that sin exists, that sin is real. Can I help but notice as well, I think as we dive into this, some striking similarities, particularly to the order we know that Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 both have these lists of spiritual gifts. Both of them are, in a sense, followed by this subject of love. Following 1 Corinthians 12 is what? 1 Corinthians 13, the, the epic love chapter. If I have what? Prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, I have all knowledge, I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Paul wrote what? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. So now what? We see in verse 13. Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What is interesting is that Romans chapter 12 also transitions to exactly the same subject after a list of the gifts. The subject again turns the importance and priority of love. The lesson is clear for us. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. Remember all the list of spiritual gifts? It doesn't matter how much faith you have. If you don't exercise them, serving, teaching, giving, leading, mercy, if you don't exercise them in love, with love that is real and sincere and authentic and genuine, here's the message from Scripture. Stay home. That's what it's saying. It actually says in 1 Corinthians 13, what? You think, I'm being rude to, to say stay home if you don't exercise love like this. 1 Corinthians 13 says, you're actually a noisy gong. You are what? A clanging cymbal. You know what Paul's saying? You are in absolute annoyance to be around. That's what it is. You ever sit next to a gong? I'd like to just hear a gong for the next hour. That's the image of what people who call themselves followers of Jesus, but are not living and acting with real and sincere love. Few things ever brought down the wrath of Jesus. Like what? Insincerity. A disingenuous or hypocritical spirits. Think about what? The God of the universe. Matthew chapter 23. Pointing his finger at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The so-called religious right. And he literally says, woe to you. I would shudder in fear. The creator of the world says, I warn you. So, so think, true, true love, love that is willing to sacrificially 
place someone else's needs above your own is going to always keep two things in mind. Two very simple, clear points this morning. The first one is this. You can write it down and remember. It's not going to be hard. Here's number one. Love hates. And I get that cozy. I got up an hour early for that. Let's put that on a bumper sticker. Let's put love hates on a t-shirt. But, but it's, it's true. That's what I love about the clarity of the word of God. We are to hate one thing and therefore we are to love another. The hatred by which Paul speaks of here, R.C. Sproul calls it, is, the, is hatred of the highest dimension. Which means this word that is used here, abhor, is not speaking of mild displeasure, dislike, distaste. I hate green peppers. And I hate when you're eating fish and you get those little bones caught in the fish. Matter of fact, I just hate fish. And you know what I really hate is green peppers and fish together. And yet what I find is interesting is this. I don't abhor it. I've never lost sleep over the fact that somebody put a green pepper on my plate. Never happened to me. Like, I just stayed up all night. I can't believe that. I abhor, the, abhor that. No, no, I've not lost sleep over that. But I, I tell you what I have lost sleep over. I, I have wept. And I have cried. And I have spent time in prayer over the reality that what exists in our society is that we have fathers who are neglecting their God-given responsibility to protect and to shepherd their son or their daughter. And instead of that, they have misled them or they've what, hurt them or abused them in some way. I have wept and I abhor to hear of a little one who's been hurt, who's been lied to. Think, think right here. What is Paul commanding in the name of the Lord? That we together as a body of believers who believe the word of God, we are to loathe, to detest evil. The word in Greek is poneras, not panera. Poneras. We're to loathe that which is wicked, morally corrupt, that which is bad, worthless, of serious fall. Now, if you remember what I said earlier to this particular exhortation, this is not difficult to understand. It's difficult to apply. Why? Because it runs counter-cultural. You see, in our culture, just as truth is being taught as what? It's subjective. It's all relative. There's no absolute. This is your truth, and this is her truth. And this is my truth. So my truth is what? God does not belong. So I guess he does not belong. That's my truth, right? That's what some people would say. My truth is what? I, I believe that I was born, born in, a, in a man's body, but I really am not a man. My truth says I'm someone else. You see, what's happened is that evil 
is often painted with a similar brush today in our culture. So what is evil to one? Well, it's evil to you, but it's not necessarily evil to another. Note something very carefully. That doesn't fly with the absolute truth of Scripture. It does not fly. And we know that because in Proverbs chapter 6, it's, it actually says there are, there are six things that the Lord hates, and seven are an abomination to him. And then there's this list. This is what God himself says, I hate, I abhor, I detest this God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And, and yet what's interesting, for some reason, we don't see all of that as evil. Somebody tells a lie about another person. That's, you know, that's not a good thing to do, but it's certainly not evil. So, some, someone sows seeds of discord, is, is actually seeking to bring disunity or disharmony within the context of the local church. Somebody who sits around thinking more about themselves than they do others, or they think that they're better than someone else. That's, that's what a haughty eyes mean. It, 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 it directly implies that evil is real. It does exist. It is present. And guess what? Guess what? It's a lot closer than you think it is. Evil doesn't just exist in the atrocities that take place in a foreign country. No, this is where we hear the truth of the word of God. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All, all of this evil comes from within. And the defiled person. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says what? This, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. You, you see, we are to see evil for what it is. It is an unveiled assault on the very character, and the very nature, the very sovereignty of God. Therefore, what? Don't ever, don't ever go pointing fingers at evil that exists in other people without first taking a very close, careful look at your own heart. Thankfully, we, we have been taught throughout the book of Romans, hopefully you have understood, you have learned Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5. For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification is an act of God whereby he what? He pronounces a sinner to be righteous because of that sinner's faith in Christ. You realize what's happening here? There's only one antidote to evil. There's only one solution to evil that exists in this world. And it is what? It is found upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For upon the cross, his blood was shed that atoned for what? All the wickedness, all the sinfulness, all the evil that exists in the whole world. It says that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So, so what? So, so what do we do with this? As, as believers, we are what? We are, we are children of God. As believers, we are to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, which, which what? Upon salvation, we have been gifted the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And God is what? Continually working to set us apart, to sanctify us toward holiness. And we are to be growing in grace maturing we learned in what the first couple verses of this chapter we're not to be conformed to this world like this culture we don't live like this culture we don't talk and think and act like this culture we're not conformed to this world but we're transformed by the renewing of your mind we know as well that what we are to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus Philippians chapter 2 therefore here it is. We're to think like Jesus thinks. Therefore, we are to love what Jesus loves, and we are to hate what Jesus hates. Now, this is hard. I'm being honest with you. This is challenging because we all know that, that hatred is one of the strongest emotions that can land and sadly live in our hearts and, and even in our homes. And we know that hatred can be destructive, can be demeaning, unless it's directed toward that which is evil. Now, we have seen and we have learned to hate the images of a person walking into a school that is filled with children and just starts randomly shooting. We are to hate that. But we're also to, what? We're to hate the fact that husbands and fathers and men and shepherds and sadly even pastors and elders in our culture have abdicated their responsibility have coddled those in their care and pandered away opportunity to teach and to lead the way that God has called us to do. Instead of what? Leaning in. Instead of listening. Instead of speaking truth in love and praying for them and loving them unconditionally and putting what? Their needs ahead of our own. We, we all know what we hate hearing of yet another story of a, of a young girl that has been lied to, that has been drugged, that has been trafficked and, and sold, sold 
into sex slavery. We hate those stories, those images, but we are also to hate how the entertainment industry, media, and music, and movies have all benefited, and they have even celebrated what Jesus Christ himself describes as what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, or just, or just call it what it is. Perverted and pornographic. Whoa, whoa, we don't have to go there. No, no, we are to loathe, detest that evil. We, we are to hate and, and, and we just think how a terrorist could, could walk into a crowded cafe and detonate himself. But you know what? We're, we're also supposed to hate how a mother can actually neglect the needs of our own little baby while she would never dare neglect her own needs. We should also hate the fact that what? A mother can spend more time on social media than in the scriptures. But now it's like, whoa, we don't want to go there. No, that's, that's what we're called to hate. We're to hate the fact that men have perfected what? Teaching their sons how to hunt and fish and about football more than a sovereign God who loved them enough to come and to die in their place. You know, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. I believe what? That we are to teach clear, straightforward truth from the Bible. It's a wonderful thing to teach that. We have a privilege to do that to our children. But, but we know what? By doing that, it's going to cost us. Like You're not going to be popular with your little one. But we know by teaching them clear truth from above, it will save much hardship and much pain. This is, this is plain and perfect truth. That Dad and moms... Those of you that have committed to raise and congregation that is committed to hold them accountable, please hear me. You do not need to teach your kids how to be experts in the latest philosophical arguments. You don't need to do that. You don't need to teach your child how to win at all costs or be the best that you can be or how to set and achieve long-term goals. They're good things, by all means. But, but they're, not, they're not near as good. They're, they're important, yes, yes, but they're not near as important as the fact that you teach your son, you teach your daughter that God is real. And you teach your son and teach your daughter that God is holy and God is just and God loves, and God forgives, and God rescues. And you teach your child that God is coming again. And you can be assured of this. God will never settle for second place. God will never settle for second place. We just read, you just heard it, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. And your strength. 
which leads us to our second point. I know I'm late. It's the baby's fault, okay? Very quickly. Not only does what? Number one, love hates, but also number two, love holds. Hold fast to that which is good. The, la the last phrase, there's only, what, 14 words, 13, 14 words in this whole verse. The, the last phrase in this verse is the compliment command to the previous. If, if we are to, what, be like God, which means that we're to be against what God is against, and we are to, what, hate what God hates, if we're to be like God, then we are to love what God loves, love righteousness, and hold on tight to it. Now, it, it may seem like, well, kind of obvious. Like, duh, I, I get it enough. All right, do we really need to go here? We know that evil exists. We don't want that. Yeah, we do need to go here. You see, by its very presence, it's important. If, if it was not, it's way too easy to what? Slip out of our grasp. A dead guy wrote this. He didn't write it when he was dead. He wrote it when he was alive. The half world of the mediocre has many inhabitants. The dim path of compromise is well-traveled. The lazy world of taking things as they are, settling for a status quo, holds great attraction for the multitudes. Why do you read that? L let me tell you why. Because I do not want mediocrity. I don't want a dim path. I, I want a well-lit path. I don't want any confusion. There's enough confusion in this world. I want clarity. I don't want to settle for second best. I Wants the best. So here it is. Bright and clear. Holds. Kaleo. It means to join, unite, to hold tight. It has the idea of a fortress. Hold what? Agathos. Good. It's pronounced good. And it means good, not bad. There's not a lot here. It's not difficult. I truly believe, I honestly believe, with the Word of God, that's this. Don't dust it off. Don't ever dare dust that thing off in the morning. you got a problem. you either got a problem with your house or you've not been in this enough. I truly believe with the Word of God, with the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and what? And the people of God gathered together, speaking into one another's lives. All of those things are to be guiding us, helping us, that when you see it, when you see it, you will know it. I tell you what, it's going to be different than what exists in our culture. It was like, what? 12 degrees when we woke up, or 16 degrees this morning, and it's like another snowstorm, and there's more ice. You know what I thought about this morning? How much I love to mow grass. I love to mow grass. 
And you know when you mow your lawn and there's what? The job is finished, you step away, and there's these clean, straight, nice lines. And I go inside. I'm like, honey, come out here. Come out here. Come out here. Stand here. Look at this. Look at that. When, when you see it, you, you, you know it. I love, love to eat my wife Wendy's apple pie. When company comes over to our home, and I know that there's what? There's something that just came out of the oven. They, it just happened. They walked in the door. I'm like, come over here. Smell this. When you walk into someone's house and they say, smell this, there's a lot of trust. But it's something like, oh, I see that. And I smell that. And I, and I know that exact, exact same principle applies times a thousand. This is good. When a father leads and takes responsibility. This is good. When mama, what, sacrifices for what? For her little ones. This is good. When a family, what, turns off all the slop and the noise and they, and they bow their heads together and they pray together. This, this is good. You see this. This is good when kids obey. This is good when people show up to worship and the church grows. This is holy. This is righteous. This is right. God created this. God said this. God gave us this. And I don't believe there's anything greater, I don't think there's anything more good in the world than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A holy God sees what us as sinful men who have broken every single commandment, if not in act and in hearts. And God loved us so much that he offered his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for our sins, my sin. And I know how much is in there. That we put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of Jesus Christ. And we know that he didn't stay dead. That he rose again three days later. That we, what? Become new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. And everything becomes new. The message of the gospel. There's nothing better than that. Hear it. And see it. And know it. Study it. And celebrate it. And hold on tight. Hold on tight in the world that we live in. We always, we always teach our kids, what, you throw them a ball, you don't take your eye off that ball. Don't ever take your eye off the ball. And when you catch it, you catch it with both hands. You don't catch it with one hand. I don't want this showy off stuff. Same principle applies. Don't ever take your eye off it and you hold on tight to it. What's it look like to lead with love? Constantly keeps two things in mind. Number one, love hates. Number two, love holds. What do we do with this? Number one, go home, pray together as a family, and clean house. That's what you need to do. Because we, what? we hug and hold on to things that we know are not honoring to God. My dad and mom taught me what? There's eye gates and there's ear gates. All of that stuff comes in and garbage in, garbage out. Where'd that come from? It came because you, you let stuff exist and live in your home that ought not be there clean house. Number two, what do you do? Confess. 
dads and moms, pull your kids aside and say, we need to ask for forgiveness because we have not led according to the truth of the gospel. We'll put more attention on the nonsense and the silliness of sports and pleasure and food than we have on the forgiveness of sin. And dad, mom, ask your child to forgive you. And you go to the Lord and confess your wrong before the Lord and ask him to forgive you. And we know that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly and finally, commit. Commit to what? Live in constant repentance and accountability. Give people a key to your home. Give people a key to your heart. Give them permission to ask you the hard questions. How you doing, Dad, in leading your family in the Word? How you doing as a family, praying together, setting aside time? Commit to be held accountable. Therefore, my beloved brothers, sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, know this, that what? That your labor is not in vain. Father, we need your help as we strive and seek to be obedient to your word this morning. Please help us every single step of the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.